Please open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke again. To chapter 11. We're going to skip ahead a little bit this morning and then come back to some previous verses here. We ended with, um, in the earlier section, with verse 28. We're going to skip 29 and 36 for the moment today. And then next week, Lord willing, in our communion service, we'll come back there. I'm doing this for a reason. I want to look ahead, so we're going to take a glance at where we're going. And we'll come back and deal with the details of this section later, Lord willing. Amazingly, after Jesus said what he said, he gets an invitation for a meal from a Pharisee. And... He is just unloaded on these people. And it's fascinating that this man, uh, who was of a group that accused Jesus of casting out demons by the devil, and was in the group that uh, said, we want to see a sign from you, if more than what you've already done. This was one of those individuals, and... He heard our Lord's response to all of this, and it it was a body blow, no doubt, to him. But then he invites him over to eat. Um, Would you invite someone to your house that you thought was empowered by the devil? (laughs) Um, Anyway, he does. Uh, I'm sure he didn't believe that. He just, but he understood why it was going on so we're going to read verse 37 down to verse 54 this morning and the Lord said to him now do you Pharisees make clean excuse me verse 37 and as he spoke a certain Pharisee besought him to dine with him And he went in and sat down to eat. And when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Now, this is not like your mom marveled when you were a kid. Uh, It's not for hygienic issues. It's a ceremonial thing that they did. We'll look at all that later, someday. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make clean the outside of the cup and the platter, but your inward part is full of extortion and wickedness. You fools. When did he say this? At the dinner table of a man who just invited him for dinner. Now, none of us would think this is proper behavior to be in someone else's home, at someone else's table, and to open up on them the way the Lord did. And you know what? We'd be right. 
There's many, many times where I've bitten my tongue and not said what I wanted to say because I was in someone's house uh, at their table and I didn't think it was appropriate for me to say something. Sometimes they give us no choice, but often if we have a chance not to say it, we won't because it's just not appropriate. But remember, Jesus is the head of every home, whether that home recognizes him or not. And therefore, as God, he is the head of every table. You've got to kind of remember who's talking here, right? So this is not an example for us to do what he did. <laughs> so don't go out of here and start blasting all the unbelievers that invite you to eat. That's not what Jesus, that's not an example for what us to do, but it is an, it's an example of him as God over the head of every home, dealing with every home, with authority over every home and every person. And so the Lord says, you fools, verse 40, did not he that made that which was without make that which was within also? but rather give alms of such things as you have, and behold, all things are clean to you. Woe to you, Pharisees! You, well, there's six woes here in this passage. There's seven in Matthew's version, six here. It means alas. Woe to you, Pharisees! You tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and Passover justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done and not to leave the other undone. Woe to you, Pharisees! You love the chief seats in the synagogues and the salutations in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are as graves which appear not that men walk over them and are not aware of them. You couldn't insult a Pharisee greater than that. Uh, Jesus really let them have it, and they needed it. And when Jesus was done with the host, he uh, with that statement, somebody spoke up. He was only interrupted one time, and this one guy said, Wait a minute, we're, we're, we're lawyers, we're, we're scribes, we're the interpreters of the Bible that the Pharisees follow, and you're insulting us by insulting them. And I answered one of the lawyers and said, Master, thus saying, you reproach us also. Did Jesus back off? <laughs> he quiet down? Did he apologize? He is the Lord of every home and every person. And when something needs to be said, he will say it. Sometimes he says it to us by his spirit in the middle of the night. I shouldn't have done that. Sometimes he says it by his word. I was wrong. But he'll say it. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. But the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. It's because of his faithfulness and love that he's so bold and so so open and so clear and he touches us just where we need to be touched. So verse 46, Woe to you also, you lawyers, or you load by lawyers, he means people who interpret the Bible. That's what they were called, scribes, lawyers. 
For you load men with burdens grievous to be born, and you yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you! You build the sepulchres of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. Truly you bear witness that you allow the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their sepulchres. Therefore also said the wisdom of God, underline that, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God is reference to Proverbs, and Lady Wisdom is a picture of Jesus Christ. The wisdom of God is Jesus Christ. Therefore also says the wisdom of God, I will send them prophets and apostles, and some of them they'll slay and persecute. This is future that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be requited of this generation. From the blood of Abel unto the blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and temple, verily I say it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers! You've taken away the key of knowledge and you entered not in yourselves and them that were entering in you hindered. How do you think that went over? Everybody got down on their knees and repented. This hastened Jesus' journey to the cross. They decided, we got to get rid of him. They'd already decided. But now they're more determined than ever not to be passive, but to be active in getting him out of the way. Why? He's exposed them to themselves, about themselves, and to others, and they couldn't stand it. As he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to oppose him vehemently and to provoke him to speak of many things, laying wait for him and seeking to catch something out of his mouth that they might accuse him. Now, I'm not going to go into any of these particulars this morning. I'm just introducing this section, kind of show us where we're going. I've got other things I want to do today. But uh, So next week we'll go back and get the uh, earlier part, and then we'll work on the particulars later. Uh, it's amazing, it's even stunning that Jesus got this invitation to eat at a Pharisee's house, and it's amazing that he went, but he went. After all, would you go to somebody's house that said you were doing miracles by the power of the devil? That's, it works both ways, right? It's amazing grace that he would even go. And earlier, he accuses the whole generation of an awful thing in verse 24 and 26. We have an insult in Washington, D.C. or in the business world. That guy's just an empty suit which means he's just all show and there's nothing, he contributes nothing. He's just here with his clothes off. Jesus accused this generation of being an empty house. That demons would possess. He, earlier. And after all this intense stuff, this Pharisee invites him and he accepts. And then there's this long discourse that totally dominates the whole meal. Have you ever invited somebody over to your house and they do all the talking? <laughs> and you can't get a word in, in, in sideways? That's what Jesus did here. And by the way, how many think anybody had anything to eat that day after this? 
Can you sit there eating your mashed potatoes while Jesus is doing this? I don't think anybody touched their food. I may be wrong. I don't think anybody ate a thing. They were so bad. Some people can react differently than they should react, but sometimes even people get mad and then they get saved. You never know. Now, Jesus did, as we said before, this is very important, these leaders of the nation were promoting deception. They were deceived themselves and they were promoting deception to the whole nation. The reason the nation, and this is why I'm saying this, the nation was an evil generation. That's what Jesus called that generation. And they were a generation under judgment, as we'll see next time, this, this evil generation that Jesus says in verse 29. They, were, they remained an evil generation because the people who should have given them truth were giving them lies. The only way people who are caught in sin can be delivered from sin is somebody's got to tell them the truth. If your doctor won't, if your doctor is lying to you instead of telling you the truth, you might like him. Oh, you're doing great, Pastor Hickson. No problems. And you know, got cancer and a heart disease. <laughs> you know, your doctor has to tell you the news you don't want to hear sometimes, and that they don't want to say. So the Lord Jesus starts a fight at the dinner meal before they ever prayed over the food. And it started when he didn't engage in the ceremonial washing that everybody else did. Jesus didn't. And it really seems out of character for Jesus. It really seems like, what did he do this for? This seems a little off, doesn't it? It seems Jesus Christ is being the opposite of what we would expect and uh, in graciousness. And it seems like he, he picks this fight by not, what's a simple thing, getting your hands wet. Well, can't you just go along to get along? <coughs> We're surprised he's invited. We're surprised he accepts, and then we're really surprised how he acts. Now, as we said, the first part's what he says to his host, and then the second part's what he says to the other guests that are there. He's got something for everybody. These people don't normally get an opportunity to listen to him, and this is his opportunity to say something to them that needed to be said, and he said it. And he totally dominated the conversation. And you see what happened after he left. And in both cases, he spoke to people about the groups they were in. Anybody that's gone through grade school or junior high or even high school knows that every class has a personality. Your 6th grade class had a personality. Your 10th grade class had a personality. Churches have personalities. Restaurant, uh, restaurants have personalities. They can be in the same chain. 
but the, there's a diff, there's a personality of the group. Businesses have personalities. Local churches can believe exactly the same thing on their doctrinal statement, but every church has a personality. And there's something about groups. They have their own personality. And um, Jesus understood what was going on, that group dynamic of the generation he was living in. Generations have personalities. You know, the boomers and the, all the rest. Everybody's got their personality. The millennials and the generation X's and all the other things they name them. They have a certain group personality. And it's good for us to understand that. But the Lord Jesus understands that and as God he's going to deal with the issues of the people at the table with him he deals with us it's all love on his part it's shepherd care he's not going to say to the sheep you got a broken leg but I'm not going to mention it because it'll upset you so it's part of his shepherd care and the Lord whenever he's invited some stuff happens. All things are open and naked with him with whom we have to do. And this is an illustration of it. This is how it works. Now, if he did this to the scribes and Pharisees, how many think he gave the tax collectors and sinners in Matthew's house a pass when he accepted Matthew's invitation? You know, he got criticized for that. You eat with tax collectors and sinners. Luke 5, 29 and 30. As if he was going along having a good time with all those sinners in Matthew's house. No. He was a presence for good everywhere he goes. He still is. Have you ever been around a Christian that was so mature in the Lord you felt, I need to change the way I live. They're not necessarily saying anything against you, but you feel it. The conviction, the lack in your own life. That's the way Jesus was everywhere he was, and that's the way he is today. And remember that Pharisee invited him, and then their woman was washing Jesus' feet with her hair and her tears, and in Luke seven thirty six and he gave it to him and he said something to her. He ministered to everybody in the group. And in Luke 14, we'll see the same exact thing at another table later. He ministers to the host. He ministers to the guest. He ministers to everybody. That's the way he is. People are here. I'm going to minister to everybody. This is my opportunity. They don't usually hang out with me. I'm going to, I'm going to take advantage of this. Now, I'm not saying we, sh we can operate exactly like him because we're not God. We don't know everybody's needs. And we may not have the right to intrude on people the way Jesus did because as God, he's got those rights. And... He invited himself to dinner at Zac Zacchaeus' house. I'm going to eat with you this morning, today. What a shock that was. 
He didn't wait for an invitation. He just invited himself. Aren't you glad the Lord didn't wait for you to invite him into your heart? <laughs> He'd be waiting a long time with our old fallen heart, right? He invites himself in sovereign grace. That's why we get is get interested. So he utilized these opportunities to reach people who would otherwise never had a chance to hear him. And it's these woes sound awful, but William Graham Scroggie said Jesus never hurled woes at contrite souls. He never hurled woes at contrite souls. These people were hard as a rock. Their hearts were hard as a rock and needed to be pounded on. And Leon Moore said, a woe is an expression of regret, not a vindication, with the meaning like, alas. And so may God help us. A great part of the Gospel of Luke is made up of table talk. What do you, what do, you do at the table? We eat? Is that all you do? <laughs> Hope you talk. I'm pretty interested in eating at the table. I have to watch that. And I just love, I'm like the old German shepherd dog. Shove it in. But God has a purpose for table time beyond eating food. And what we have here, I'm going to, this is the title of this section, Bill Hickson's title. Incarnate Wisdom Confronts Intransigent Foolishness. He called them fools. He's wisdom incarnate. There's a big clash here between incarnate wisdom, Jesus Christ, and the intransigent foolishness of these men. And Jesus does not use that term fool lightly. He warns us against using it wrongly. He doesn't use it very often, but he uses it here. And as I think about this section, if we can just look broadly without getting into the weeds a prayer I hope all of us would pray Lord take any bit of the Pharisee out of my heart Lord take any bit of the scribe out of my heart may none of these things that Jesus exposes be lingering in me I need this section you need this section religious people all need this section there's a little bit of Pharisee in all of us. There's a little bit of scribe in all of us. And we need the Lord to work. Now, that brings me to this, and I'm going to spend a lot of my time on this. This is not the only bold table talk in the Bible. As I began to think about what Jesus was doing here, I began to think of time and time and time and time and time and time again that something bold and something powerful was said at the dinner table. Something very significant. I want you to follow me on that. 
to just kind of set the stage for our dealing with this later. Go with me to Esther, chapter 7. Esther, Esther, chapter 7. Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Remember that intimate dinner between Esther the queen and her husband Ahasuerus and Haman is there? And he feels very honored to be invited by the queen to a private dinner in her, in her place. And he's bragging about it and he's all puffed up. But remember, Haman had a plan to kill every Jew in the whole nation of Iran. Sounds like one of the modern leaders of Iran. And Esther was a Jew and he didn't know it. Even the king didn't know it. Not much of a husband. Didn't know much about his wife, did he? Seemed like he always talked about himself and never asked her about her. But what a dramatic moment. And I want to tell you, I, if you've never thought, of, I love this part of the book of Esther. To me, it is beyond amazing. At this dinner table, at this dinner table, the salvation of the whole world was at stake. If Haman would kill off the Jews like Satan wanted him to do, there'd be no baby Jesus born to grow up and die for your sins and mine. Nothing less than the salvation of the whole world is at stake at this meal. Esther knew it. And Mordecai told her, how do you know but you're not put in this place as queen for this instance? You've got to speak up. And she did. And so this is very dramatic. I want to tell you, this is dramatic. A dinner for three. And what was say, said here by that wonderful, bold woman caused the kingdom of God to go forward and Jesus to be born. You think there cannot be big consequences around the table? Have you ever blown it? Sure, you had a chance and you muffed it. To witness, to give somebody the gospel, or you kind of soft-pedaled it. We've all done that. But I want us to look at this. So the king and Haman came to banquet with Esther the queen. And the queen, the king said, Esther, on the second day of the banquet, what's your petition, Queen Esther? It'll be granted, and what's your request? It'll be performed even to the half of the kingdom. Well, that's a pretty good start. She must have been a good cook. They'd already eaten once together. Then Esther, the queen, answered and said, If I found favor in thy sight, O king, and if it please the king, let my life be given me at my petition and my people at my request. I just want to be delivered. I want my nation, my people. For we're sold, and I am my people destroyed to be slain and to perish. But if we'd been sold for male and female slaves, I'd kept my tongue, although the enemy could not compensate the king's damage. Well, the king Ahasuerus said to Esther, Who is he, and where is he? 
Who would presume in his heart to do so? And Esther's finger went out and it said, that Haman, <laughs> that wicked Haman. Think, think Haman choked on his asparagus at that moment? <laughs> Esther said, the adversary, the enemy is this wicked Haman. And Haman was afraid before the king and the queen. That was a turning point in history. Now, most of us are not going to make a turning point in history, but maybe some conversation will be the turning point in somebody's life. And so, but this is a dramatic moment. Turn to Genesis 43, another meal. We're not going to be in Luke very much this morning. Genesis 43, 16. How about Joseph and his brothers? Wasn't that something? Genesis 43, 16. He knows them. They don't know him. When jo- Genesis 43, 16. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with him, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home and slaughter an animal. Make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. And the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. And the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, because of the money that was returned in our sacks, conscience is in overdrive. At the first time we're brought in, you make a seek, seek an occasion against us and fall on us and take our ass, slaves and our asses. And they came near to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him. And he, oh, sir, we indeed at the first came to buy food and we didn't know anything about all this other stuff and uh, it goes on verse 24 the man brought the men into Joseph's house and gave them water and they washed their feet and he gave them asses, their asses fodder and they made ready the present for Joseph's coming at noon for they heard he should eat bread there and Joseph came and brought and they brought him the present which was in their hand in the house and bowed themselves to him on the earth fulfillment of prophecy and he asked them of their welfare and said, Is your father well, the old man of whom you spoke? Is he alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father's in good health. And he said, They bowed down their heads and made obeisance. And he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin. Does this move your heart? I mean, really, seriously, this is really incredible. Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me and said, God be gracious to you, my son. And James Joseph made haste for his heart yearned over his brother and he sought where to weep and he entered into a chamber and he washed his face and went out. He could hardly, he could hardly control himself. He said, set on bread and they set on for him by himself and by themselves who did eat with him embrace him by themselves because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews. This is an abomination. So they're sitting at different tables. And they sat before him. Here's the, here's the moment. The firstborn according to his birthright. And the youngest according to his youth. And the men marveled at one another. There's 11 brothers and he got it all right. You know a family of 11? You think you could do that? He did because he knew him. They marveled at one another. 
And he took and sent messages to them before them, but Benjamin's mess was five times, that means food, as much as any of theirs. That sounds like my Thanksgiving plate. And they drank and were merry with him. Now you'd have to be brain dead to not know something's up at the seating order of that table. They got it. It was very subtle. How about the Passover meal, Exodus 12, and the blood on the door? How would you like to be inside of one of those doors when the plague's going over Egypt and firstborns are dying and you're in there eating your lamb chop? What an incredible moment that was. That's a night to remember, as it says. How about the Last Supper? Luke 22, 14 to 23. That was something. How about the meal with Cleopas and son when Jesus broke the bread and disappeared? The risen Christ. That was something. How about the meal back in Jerusalem when he appeared and ate fish with them? Luke 24, 36 to 43. How about that, that section in Galatians 2, 12 to 14 where Paul confronts Peter? He used to eat a ham sandwich with the rest of us, but now when those people came from James, you left the table, went back to the kosher table. You're not walking orderly according to the gospel you believe. That was a meal never to forget. One apostle rebuking another apostle. There's many others in the Bible. There's many others in Luke. Now, Jesus is not all rebuked. You know, he, <laughs> eating with Jesus is an experience. How about feeding the 5,000? I wouldn't want to miss that. How about being at the wedding and the 150 gallons of wine he made? That was pretty good. But when you're eating with Jesus, you're eating with God incarnate. And God incarnate's going to be God incarnate. And the dinner table isn't just for food. It's sometimes for sensitive things to be talked about and dealt with. And so may God help us. And there's many other things we could say on this. But go back to Luke. In fact, no, don't do that. Go back to Mark 7. There's a history here. In Mark chapter 7, in verses 1 to 23, Jesus is defending his disciples for eating with unwashed hands. See the same thing in Matthew 5, 1 to 20. He's defending them. Not himself. The Pharisees accused them. Not him. And they accused them to him. And he defended them. But no Pharisee accused him. That hadn't been done yet. (coughs) And Jesus understood that it's possible the way people think that they might think he allowed it for the disciples, but not for himself. 
So when Jesus sat at this Pharisee's table, he is picking a fight. But he deliberately did not wash his own hands to have an opportunity for them to know I do the same stuff. I don't have one rule for my disciples and one for myself. So this is this is a fight that needed to come. This is a fight that needed to happen. You know, to disrupt a dinner table or something, it's a breakfast table, but whatever it was, lunch, dinner, whatever, is a serious thing. But this did need to happen. He's on the way to the cross. And Jesus is basically clarifying to his enemies his position. And he did it by purposely not washing his hands. This was a needful confrontation to remove all doubt. And again, it's not an example to us. In 1 Corinthians 10, we go to an unbeliever's house, we're to eat what's set before us, no questions asked, we're to do our best to just get along and be polite. But in this situation, Jesus as the Messiah of the Jewish nation has Jewish leadership around him who there's, there's a history between them and him dealing with this issue. And he, instead of backing it off, is opening it up greater and this actually helps send him to the cross. These people need to be confronted. They need to be confronted again and they need to be exposed for who they are because they were the ones hurting the people. The reason it was an evil generation that was going to come under judgment was because it was an evil generation who sat under these people's teaching. The scribes taught the Pharisees, the Pharisees taught the people and they took away the key of knowledge and they weren't going in and they weren't letting other people go in. So it's love if you confront a cultist or a legalist that's misleading other people. And may God help us to learn from this. Um, so this was a deep, deadly error, a mis, not just a miscue on their part. God demands inside-out religion. Not surface only. God wants to work in you on the inside. Inside-out. These people needed to hear that. It's the first thing he said. First thing he says in Luke. First thing. You, make, you wash the outside of the cup, but the inside's not clean. I've used this before, but in one of my ministries, I was visiting somebody, the wife was gone, the husband was there, the dishes are piled up, and he offered me some ice cream, and I said, yeah, I'll take some ice cream, and he took an old dirty dish out of the, of, of the dish pile, <laughs> rinsed it off on the bottom, and didn't even touch the top, and popped the ice cream in it. That was not very appetizing. And God does not want us to be outside only. Inside out religion. Legalism is outside only. Legalism just cares what you're, you present to other people. Real Christianity is inside out religion. That's a very big point here. And may God help us. And these men were graves on the inside, dead men's bones on the inside, but they look good on the outside. And they're defiled. 
the, the grave thing that he mentions in 44 is you were ceremon- a grave would ceremonially defile you if, if people walked over it and didn't know it was a grave. You're hurting people and they don't even know where it's coming from, but it's coming from you. That's the picture. When Andrea, who's now 19 and a half, when she was one year old, she got an infection in a lymph gland. Probably when we were coming back from Europe, she ate something off the floor. One year old, she just picked it up and (laughs) we don't know what it was. But she had a big knot right here. And at Larry's service, we were reminded of Dr. Phil Jones, who was the pediatrician for all four of our kids. He said, I'm going to give you some antibiotics, but it's not going to work. You're going to have to take her to Children's Hospital. So we used the antibiotics. It didn't work. We came back. He said, we've got to get her up there right away. We took her. She was in Children's Hospital for four days. Little one-year-old Andrea. They lanced that thing. They went in there, drained all the poison out, all the stuff. But they didn't sew it up. They didn't send her home with stitches. Because they said, we want this to heal from the inside out. And here, one little, little Andrea, she had an open slice right here. And we had to stuff medical galls inside that every day. Push them in, take them out. Push them in, take them out. Then she had this horrible, nasty antibiotic she had to take every day. Nastiest stuff I ever saw. But those doctors were right. All you did was stitch it up. Oh, yeah, you fixed the lump. It's better on the outside. Problems on the inside, not dealt with properly. The book of Galatians, chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, deals with the same thing. Those Judaizers were not right on the inside. And Peter said, God who knows the heart, Acts 15, we're saved by the grace of the Lord Jesus as well as then. And It's all a heart matter. That's what Peter's talking about in Acts 15. Now, the prophets were the same. The Old Testament prophets, Isaiah 1, 10 to 17, 58, 4 to 8, Amos 5, 24, 24, Micah 6, 6 to 8. They all wanted inside religion, not just ceremonies, not just stuff on the outside. Heart religion. Now, faithfulness sometimes demands confrontation as the prophets did, and as the apostles did, and Jesus did here, and may God give us the courage to do it. There's sometimes even we we have to be we have to do things we wouldn't do normally because it's so egregious. I have a large biography of Arno Gabeline, and I've told this story maybe 20 years ago, so probably some of you remember it. But Arno Gabeline was a very famous Bible teacher in the 30s and 40s and 50s. And he went all over the country. Arno Gabeline was invited to a posh dinner to eat at a high society woman's home. 
And that woman had descended from some very famous preachers in, I think it was Massachusetts. I couldn't find the biography, so I can't, I can't get it exact. I think they were in Massachusetts. She descended some very famous preachers, you know, 100 years before that. And they were godly men who preached the blood of Christ and taught people the gospel. And Cableline is sitting at that table with a bunch of other guests, a lot of, another, a whole bunch of up and outers. And uh, this woman opens up with a spiel. She's saying this publicly at the table. She said, I'm so glad we, we've outgrown to talk about the blood of Jesus. We don't talk about that anymore. We know better than that old-fashioned stuff, something like that. And she said, isn't that so, Mr. Gable? <laughs> now, you can't dodge that one, right? The time for being polite is over. <laughs> the time for being silent is over. To be silent then would be to compromise and just flat out chicken out. Well, Gabeline, who sat silently through the whole thing, when she said that, he just quoted several Bible verses to her and just scorched her. He said, you should believe what your ancestors believed. You know, that was the problem with the Pharisees and scribes. The difference between their religion and Old Testament faith of Abraham and David. And one of the guests came to Gabeline later and she said, she gives that speech every few years and we're tired of it and nobody ever speaks up and tells her. <laughs> I'm so glad you did. <laughs> so Gabeline was on the spot, Arno Gabeline, but he didn't cave. He said what he needed to say for that woman's sake, probably as lovingly as he could and for everybody else's sake. So, I believe that's what's going on here between incarnate wisdom and intransigent foolishness. The Lord's dealing with it. You know, I've thought about that passage. I'm going to close now, but I've thought about that passage in Revelation 3.20 where Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. Anyone opens me, I'll come in and sup with you and you can sup with me. When I read all these passages, I thought, I always thought that's going to be a great thing. That's all wonderful. Well, Maybe there's some rebuke in there too, right? At dinner, Jesus, your table, there might be some uh, some of that going on. And you know, in the Christian life, it does go on. He doesn't let things pass. He doesn't let them slide. He loves us too much to do that. And he'll speak to us from his word. He'll speak to us by his spirit. He'll speak to us by his providence. And sometimes I'm trying to get back to sleep in the middle of the night, and the Lord is just faithful enough to Give me a Bible verse or a thought. Bill, you didn't do right there. Oh, Lord, you're right. <laughs> Here I am trying to go to sleep and I should be confessing something. The Lord will not let things go. He doesn't paper over things that need to be exposed. Let me close with this. Sometimes in the evening, Linda reads to me, because when I'm too tired to read, we're talking late evening, just to unwind my mind from some devotional book. Sometimes we pray together. Sometimes we just watch an old 1950s western. 
no bad words in those, some bad acting. <laughs> or sometimes just leave it to Beaver or Flipper or something like that. It's not meant to do anything except to calm our minds down. Uh, we found the 1960s show, a very famous actress, and she was playing a widowed woman who had two little boys, about six or eight, and it was her birthday, and the little boys decided to take mom out on a date for a steak dinner, their treat. And the little boys decided, you know, mom's going to try to pay for this, so they worked for three weeks to earn money. And right before they left, they got in her purse and took her wallet out of the purse and hid it. And their motive was, we're going to pay for this. We're not going to let mom pay for any of this. A lot of good thoughts, a lot of well-meaning there in those little kids' minds. And so they take her out to eat, and they in, in, the, in the video, they end up in what looked like a truck stop. <laughs> and uh, a busy, bustling truck stop. Uh, people smoking, talking, loud. And one little boy couldn't get up to the table enough, so the owner got two six-packs and put them under him and sat on those. That was the kind of place it was. Kind of a rough place. But the mother, she's all dressed up, they're all dressed up, and she's acting like this is just the best. So they ordered. And they had three kinds of steak, and they ordered the best steak. They had $7.23 in their pocket and their mother had nothing because they'd taken her wallet it's kind of an interesting show so the mother's really on a spot she has no money she figured out what they'd done and she finds out they got $7.23 and then the waiter comes and gives the bill 20 some dollars now remember, this is the early 1960s. So the woman goes and talks to the owner, and he argues with her a bit and pretty rough with her. Then he decides, you know, I'm going to give this a pass. So the owner comes when the waiter's talking to them about the bill, and the kids find out it's 20-some dollars rather than 723, and the owner steps on the waiter's foot and said, oh, you made a mistake. This is 723. They prevaricate. He lies. Because the mom didn't want to ruin the boy's night out with her. And they figured they're trying to do their best. We don't want them to have this memory of them messing up. And so... Basically, the owner pays for it. And he tells the mother, next year at your birthday, don't come back here. I can't afford it. <laughs> <laughs> we have a bill we cannot pay. Only Jesus Christ can pay it. He's the owner. He can absorb it. 
And he doesn't have to say, don't come back because I can't afford it. <laughs> and he, but he's not going to lie. He's not going to pretend it's better than it is. He's not going to do that. <clears throat> he's honest with us all the way. And that was a fun little show, and it was a warm, fuzzy thing. You know, it was kind of a nice show. But life is more serious than a 60s sitcom. We all think we are better off than we are. We all think we got more than we got before God. We're bankrupt. So may God help us to hear all of this as we go into this section more and how bad it was for the Pharisees to be what they are. They were hurting people badly. They were deceiving a nation. They were the blind leading the blind. And it was deadly. And may God help us to let the Lord speak to us about ourselves, even if the time doesn't seem appropriate. And say, yes, Lord, you're right. I failed you again. And if you're not yet a Christian, don't be afraid of conviction of sin. Don't be afraid of that. You need that. We all need it. But especially if we're not saved, the mask has to come off. The facts have to be faced. So that the Lord can do the work he wants to do. So may you, if you've never trusted him as your Savior and Lord, will you not, by God's grace, do that? He's the owner. He can absorb your debt. He's the only one that can. You can't. Nobody else can. Just him. Father, we thank you for what we've looked at this morning. Challenge us, O oh God, by your truth today. Speak to each of us as needed. And bless this day's work for our lovely Savior. Amen.